Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. If you're a Christ follower, you are on a mission, right? And so I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know this, you can trust him because he's already gone ahead of you. There's already some dude carrying a water pitcher in your story. You just haven't met him yet, right? There's things that he's already asking you to do. He asked two of his disciples at the beginning of the week, go into town and get me a donkey. And there's going to be a guy who's going to ask you, why are you stealing my donkey? Each of us has a mission or purpose for our lives. You might not know what it is yet, and that's okay. You might know and be anxious about moving forward, and that's okay too. Today, Pastor James offers a word of encouragement. Christ has already led the way and stands before you ready to help when you need it most. It's easy for us to feel lost or limited by our own abilities. God's promise isn't that the road is going to be easy, but that he'll be there to help carry the load. Trust God and take that first step today. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 14 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Mark chapter 14. We're going through the gospel of Mark, a beautiful, beautiful gospel account written by Mark, also with the apostle Peter right there with him, getting firsthand, uh, you know, accounts of different stories and all that, that Mark may not have been present, but Peter was. And so as these two guys, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are recording these life events from Jesus, and we've just been walking through this thing, and the gospel of Mark is an action gospel, Okay, if you read through the whole book, you see that a common term that is used is immediately, immediately, immediately. And he's very descriptive in his words as well. I love how Mark can just, uh, he can paint a beautiful picture with his words. Um, Lots of details, you know, specifically speaking about like green grass, where other accounts may have said just the grass. They were sitting on the lawn or whatever, but Mark's like, no, it was green grass. He likes to paint these images for us. And as we are transitioning to the last part, the last, really the last day, few days of Jesus's earthly ministry during the Passion Week, Mark kind of stays consistent with that imagery that he's been creating. And this is where it gets, it just, we're growing into a night season, so to speak, okay? We're going to be talking about Passover, and we're going to be talking about the institution of the Lord's Supper this morning, but we're also going to be talking about a betrayal, that happens from one of Jesus's closest followers. And you can tell the spiritual tension is getting, it's getting heavy. It's getting heavy. Like his face set as flint, he was going to the cross. He was going to accomplish the mission that was set out before him so that he could rescue us. And through his example, even though the days may get dark and heavy, we will finish. We will continue on because he did. So as we see this, I mean, it's just going to, it's just how the, the narrative goes. I mean, you're getting to this very heavy, heavy portion of scripture where our Jesus is going to be betrayed, stabbed in the back. But before you get there, let's look at verse 12. It says, on the last day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, 
Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? Okay, so his disciples come to him. Uh, He is their rabbi. He is their teacher. They are his students, and this is customary. They would go to the rabbi and say, okay, where do you want us to go and set up the meal for Passover? It's a good question. It's a good thing to, to ask Jesus. Hey, Jesus, what do you want me to do? You always start there, okay? If in your plan or, or your agenda for the day, it's like my agenda, and then I'll pencil in Jesus's agenda. No, 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 you erase that. You erase all that and you say, Lord, I'm going to start with you. What do you want me to do today? What do you have for me today? It's always a wise decision to start with him. What do you want us to do? Lord, what would you like for me to prepare for you today? We're always asking him for stuff, like to give us stuff and prepare stuff for us. But are we stopping for a second and just saying, Lord, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? It's a good place to start, okay? You're the disciple, assuming you know him, you surrender your life to him, and you are sitting at his feet and you're being obedient as a disciple should, as a student should. You're the student, he's the teacher, right? Let's, let's never mix that up, okay? So they approach him with this. And in verse 13, it says, he sent two of them. We know from the other gospel accounts that it's Peter and John. Okay, this isn't a mystery, right? You just read the Bible and you find out like, oh, we know who these two are. It's, it's the two top dogs. I want you two, Peter and John, the ones who are always really kind of fighting with each other over who's the best disciple, who's the greatest follower of Jesus. We know that that's true because, I mean, even in John's account and the other gospel's account, when Jesus resurrected, they had a foot race to the tomb and they let us know. John got there first. He's the fastest, but Peter went in, right? And I love that. There's a little competitiveness between these two guys. What I appreciate about this is we would delegate this to the two on the lowest rung. Two that we just don't really know that much about disciple-wise, right? We're like, oh yeah, you two who never get mentioned in the Gospels, you guys go set it up. But Jesus didn't work that way. He says, oh, Peter, John, you guys, I'm going to send you on a mission. You're going to send us on a mission? Yeah, I want you guys to go prepare Passover. I'm going to leave it up to you guys to handle this. What's funny about this is if you read the other Gospel accounts, at the Passover meal, the disciples start arguing again about who's the greatest. They never get it. They never learn. Just like me, I'm just like these guys. I, it takes a long time for me to learn. I'll be standing before Jesus when it all really just kind of sets in. I'm like, oh, I get it now. It's, yeah, it's not about me. He's like, yeah, welcome to heaven. So he sends Peter and John on this mission. Here's what's kind of cool about this mission. He sends them into Jerusalem. This is Passover week. There are possibly millions of additional people in Jerusalem at this time. Sends them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. A man carrying a pitcher of water in Jerusalem at Passover week. Yes. Jesus is like, yeah, that's, that's going to be your sign. That's your guy. And it seems as though Jesus already has this prearranged. What's amazing about this is Guys didn't normally carry water pitchers. Women carried the water pitchers. If a guy was carrying around any water, he was going to carry it in an animal skin. So this is what's unusual about this, but this is what's brilliant about Jesus. He's like, there's going to be a dude carrying a water pitcher, and that would stick out to them immediately. 
in a sea of millions, they would recognize that guy. And so it's like Jesus sends him on a mission. He already knows what's going to happen. He has already selected individuals who are going to be a part of the story, even though they may not even know it. And all he does is calls us to go on the mission and to trust him. Go set up for Passover. Okay, what does that mean? You're going to see a guy carrying a water pitcher. Follow that guy to his house. Oh, it's not his house. It's his master's house. So we're just supposed to follow the stranger carrying a water pitcher, which women normally did that. So that's already kind of unusual. But, and we're supposed to follow him into this house. And we're just supposed to tell the master of the house, Jesus needs your house. She's like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, do that. Jesus already has it. I believe that he had already had it kind of set up. But why was it a mystery? There's a few reasons as to why it may have been a mystery. You have a guy who's already been motivated to betray him. You have a guy on the team who is already looking for opportunities to betray Jesus. We already know that. Satan had already entered into Judas and kind of motivated and stirred him. And he met with religious leaders and said, hey, what will you pay me if I deliver him to you? Jesus already knows this. So part of this reason of the secrecy, he's not going to let Judas know because why? Because his time, the betrayal that Jesus already knows is going to happen and it had been prophesied before, Psalm 41, I believe is the Psalm where you can find that at Psalm 41 verse nine. It already talks about Jesus being sold out by his closest, one of his closest followers. But everything's going to happen as Jesus intended it to. He's sovereign. He's in control. So there's a little bit of mystery there as to, but when these guys needed to know what they were supposed to do, Jesus revealed that to them. That should be encouraging for you and I, because you're a part of a mission. If you're a Christ follower, you are on a mission, right? And so I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know this, you can trust him because he's already gone ahead of you. There's already some dude carrying a water pitcher in your story. You just haven't met him yet right? There's things that he's already asking you to do. He asked two of his disciples at the beginning of the week, go into town and get me a donkey. And there's going to be a guy who's going to ask you, why are you stealing my donkey? He's like, Jesus told me to steal your donkey, right? No, they didn't say that because that's never a good excuse. Don't try to use that with police officers. They won't buy that. Trust me. I've never used that. But anyways, um, he knows and he, he never sends you out on a mission without having a predetermined effect in one sense. Now there's freedom of, you know, decisions we get to make and all that good stuff. And we can delay, I think sometimes by just our stubbornness and sin and whatever, but man, his plan is going to happen how he wants it to happen. And that should comfort us as Christians that we can trust him. If he's calling you to do something, you can step out in faith because he has you. He has you. It just may not look like you thought it should look like. These guys weren't thinking, oh, we're going to go into Jerusalem and we'll find a guy carrying a water pitcher. They would have never planned it like that. But Jesus did. He's brilliant. So he says, follow him. Verse 14, at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, the rabbi asks, where is the guest room that I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? So this kind of lets us know that maybe Jesus had already had a conversation with this guy. We don't know. Just speculation. Says verse 15, he will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That's part of that thing. Again, just thinking like Jesus is already working out some of these details, possibly. 
That is where you should prepare you, you too, Peter and John, you should prepare the meal for Passover. Jesus like, I got the room ready. I just need you guys to show up and get it all ready, get everything else ready to go. Kind of, kind of brilliant. I love that. I love how the Lord works sometimes. Where he's like, I've already done the hard work. I found the place. I got it secure. The room's all set and ready to go. I just need you to show up and to serve. That's what I need. I need you to show up and serve. I need you to serve beforehand. Before the guests show up, I need you to be there getting it ready to go. That's what I, the place is already ready. It's set. It's determined. So Peter and John are going to go out and do this. It says in um, verse 16, so the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as he had said. And they, Peter and John, prepared Passover meal, the Passover meal there. So I don't know what's going on in their heads. I don't know if this is something they were accustomed to of having to prepare the Passover meal. Maybe at one point in time, they thought in the midst of all their arguing with each other that this is beneath me. Doesn't he realize, I mean, we're like two of the three who saw him transfigured. Like he only took three of us up there. And why isn't that other one with us? Why is it just us two? Why do we have to do this? Could have been their mentality. But again, that's speculation. We don't know. They could have right hearts. They could have been like, this is amazing that he's entrusting us to prepare this Passover meal. Knowing their personalities, that's probably not what was going on, okay? I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but um, I think just knowing, especially knowing Peter, he's probably like, dude, what did, what did we do wrong this time? What did I say this time? Now we got to prepare this meal for everybody. Verse 17, story goes on, in the evening. So the sun is setting. Really, the sun's going down, and we're really entering into a new day. It says, in the evening, Jesus arrived with the 12. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. One of you eating with me here will betray me. Strange table talk, right? Now, I know there's other gospel accounts, and, and some of the orders a little bit different, but we're sticking to Mark's gospel for this morning. And he's going to go through, you know, Passover meal and all this good stuff. But he lets them know right at the beginning, there's one of you, and not one of the 120 or so technically that were following him. He says, there's one of you, 12. You're going to betray me. You're going to betray me. What I appreciate is verse 19. Greatly distressed. This is from New Living Translation. It says, greatly distressed. Each one of them asked in turn, am I the one? Am I the one? We know from, uh, I believe it's Luke's account, that Judas, he, Judas was you know, highlighted as specifically one who was asking that for sure. But Mark's account, Mark with Peter, lets us know that they all asked that question. Am I the one? That provides beautiful insight into their lives. Now, only one would betray them. Make no mistake about it. There was one who was designated, one who, the son of perdition, the one who would betray him that was prophesied about. Only one was going to do that, and that was Judas, period, period. The rest are going to abandon him. They're going to flee at the time when he told them they were going to. They're all going to turn their backs on him, but only one was going to betray him, and that was Judas. And Jesus is letting him know at the table, one of you will sell me out. Already know what was happening in Judas's heart. 
already aware of the conversations that were had between Judas and the high priest. Fully aware of what was going on, but I appreciate the other 11 for sure. At least they were asking the question, is that me? What I like about that is there's the, maybe the air of pride or something was removed in one sense. And they had the humility to ask that question. Lord, is it me? And they didn't know Judas was going to be the one. They had no idea Judas was going to be. When they looked at Judas, they thought like, no, for sure. Like, I don't even know why he's not one of the top three. They completely were oblivious to what Judas had, you know, what was going on. John's gospel goes into some other detailed account, you know, concerning the fact that Judas was stealing from Jesus from the money, but he was the treasurer and he was helping himself to the money that was coming in. But they were unaware of a lot of this stuff. And so this puts them all at even ground, so to speak, where they all ask that question, Lord, is it me? Is it me? There's some practical application point that can go along with this. You know, I don't want to betray Jesus. I have no plans of turning my back on Jesus at all. To me, it just seems even ridiculous that that would even be a notion, right? Like, but people wrestle with this all the time. My encouragement to you, I use students asking me all the time, like, can I, I mean, can I walk away from him? Can I lose my salvation? All that's deep, nice, beautiful questions. And we can address those things. I don't have time this morning to go into depth on those things. Here's, this is my encouragement to anybody who's ever asked those questions. Just fall more in love with him. I never worry about falling away from Jesus. I never worry about walking away from Jesus. I don't. My salvation is secure. I mean, it was bought. It was a price that he had paid for it. Um, now, theologically, you could disagree with me and thinking like, well, no, you can lose your salvation. We can talk about that later. I personally don't believe that I can lose something that was really never mine to be purchased in one sense. It was a free gift from him. And I'm very secure in my relationship with Jesus. And my goal for 20 years has been, I just want to grow closer to him. I don't worry about falling away in one sense or, or betraying him or walking away from him because I'm just, I just want to get to know him more. Like, that's my attitude. That's my approach of things. And you, you may think differently and all that stuff. And that's, to, that's totally fine. But I just find comfort in like, man, Jesus, I, I just want to know you more. I just want to know you more. I want to grow my relationship with you. Because there's, there's a lot that I just don't understand. Even after 20 years of a little bit of Bible college and a whole lot of pastoring, I just don't understand. And I just want to know more. I want to grow in that relationship. It's fascinating here that all 12 are like, is it me? Am I the one? Am I the one? And even Peter, if you can imagine the scene where Jesus is reclining there and on his left is Judas, a place of prominence, okay? He's going to wash Judas's feet as well, just so we understand that. He's giving Judas every opportunity to have a way out. You got to know, scripturally, Judas was all in to sell Jesus out. Okay, Satan didn't hijack his heart. He didn't hijack his heart. He found a willing vessel. He found a willing vessel. Judas was more than willing to be that guy. More than willing to. I don't have a lot of sympathy for Judas. I don't. The act of betrayal that he commits here after dinner in the Middle Eastern culture is the, is the most despicable act you can do. So for these Jews sitting at a table to know 
this guy just sold him out after they just, they just shared a bowl together with the matzah and all that stuff. It's incredible that somebody would do that. But he was willing. He was willing. So there you go. So the attention's heavy within the room, right? As it feels a little heavy here. You know what? Listen, Jesus died. He rose from the grave. Uh, he knows that you will probably, uh, you know, fell him at some point in time in your relationship with him. None of us are perfect. We're all still sinners saved by the grace of God, but we still make mistakes. And he's right there to restore us and pick us back up, right? That's who we are, okay? So, and if you backslidden and you turned your back on him, well, then turn back to him, and run back to him. Story's not over. Story's not, he's not done. He's not done with you and he's not done with what he's doing in you. So don't think like, oh no, I'm a Judas. There was one Judas. Now there are other people who have completely turned their backs on him and who once it seemed like they were followers of his. It's not my business to know their eternal security. I don't know where they're at. I don't judge that. That's between them and Jesus. So at one point in time, they seemed like they were serving him and then now they're blatant, you know, atheists and all that stuff. That's not my business, man. That's, that's between the Lord knows. He knows their heart. He knows where they're at. I'm just trying to stay focused on him. And I make a lot of mistakes. So I got to do a lot of owning, owning it in my own walk with Jesus. So I'm, that's, that's kind of where I stay. These guys, all greatly distressed. Verse 20, he says, it is one of you who is eating from this bowl right in front of them with me. Okay, so at that moment in time, what's probably happening is Jesus is taking the matzah, okay, and he's dipping it into the bowl of bitter herbs. Bowl of bitter herbs, which signified bondage and slavery in Egypt. They were reminded of that through these bitter herbs. And at that time, as he has his hand in there, there's another hand in there, the guy sitting to his left, and his name is Judas Iscariot, and they are both dipping their matzah bread into the bowl of bitter herbs at the same time. And even with that, the 11 guys are like, dude, who is it? Um, right? So I'm like, I'm thinking if I was there, I may know, but I'm so clueless at these things. But I'd probably be thinking like, oh, seriously, is it me? As I'm at the end of the table. But that's, that's what happened. And we know from the other gospel accounts that really it's, it's within this moment that Jesus is going to tell Judas, hey, look, what you've already determined to do, go and do it. Okay? Go and do it. And so he may have been able to share within the Passover meal, but he does not get to partake in communion. Most experts believe that at this moment in time is when Judas would leave and then the Lord institutes communion. And Judas isn't present for that. And I believe that. I agree with that. But he lets him know, it's one of you who's eating from this bowl with me, for the Son of Man must die. That's the plan, as the scriptures have declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. And that's absolutely true. That actually applies to anybody who rejects Jesus. That's the reality of this life, okay? If you reject Jesus, the free gift of him dying on the cross for your sins, like, I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to tell you, in the end, you're going to wish you had never been born. Because there is a reality of, there is a heaven, new heaven, new earth, and there is a hell. These things are true. And here's Jesus with Judas giving him the seat of prominence on his left hand, washing his feet, kind of communicating to him like, Judas, you still have a choice, buddy. And what Judas, I believe, represents is this aspect of humanity that's like, I don't want anything to do with you. Hopeless, hopeless, red. Right
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.